Okay, here we go. Welcome to Adventure's first teaching series of 2021, the original Big Ten. So get your notes ready. We have a lot of ground to plow today. Um, I'm going to do an introduction, and I want to get into the first, the first statement, the first commandment today. Um, so the bloodiest century of human history was the 20th century. In the very first, uh, let's see, was in the very first episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, which is set in the 24th century. For, your, for you nerds, it was set in the year 2364. Right? Seven years after the death of James T. Kirk. Jean-Luc Picard explains to a mysterious being known as Q that humanity has outgrown greed and selfishness and violence. Though every one of the 750 episodes and 13 Star Trek movies... <laughs> Involve, guess what? Greed and selfishness and violence. I'm glad we did so well. Around 1840, there was a French novelist named Alphonse Carr, and he is attributed, they say he coined the phrase, that you know this phrase, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So most of the changes that we have enjoyed since the beginning of time, most of the changes that we've enjoyed from our earliest history, the changes are actually technological changes. They're about how we do things and the tools that we have. And technology has absolutely come a long way. I mean, technology has just, it's, it's crazy how far it's come. But technology is what we call amoral. In other words, it's neutral. It doesn't have a moral value. Its moral value is determined every time it's used by how it's used at that time. For example, maybe I could sit down and I could write a beautiful novel with a pencil. Or I could take the pencil and I could kill somebody. Right? We don't ban pencils from that because the pencil is amoral. Right? It has no value. So technology leaped forward in the 20th century. That neutral technology leaped forward as government sought new ways to, now here's where the morality comes in, kill their enemies, protect their borders, get weapon systems and intelligence systems in the skies above their enemies, and in some cases, control their own people. So the bottom line is this. The history of humanity has not been morally impressive. <laughs> We've not done well with that. Until just recently, slavery has been nearly universal, and it's still taking place in most countries, including ours. Historically, women, when not enslaved, have had few to no rights. Religious freedom is still not allowed across most of the world. Now think about this. There are 193 member nations of the United Nations. 193. 82 of those 
are considered full-fledged democracies where people have a say. 111 are not democratic and have severely limited human rights. Now, if you do the math, that's like 60% of the countries in the United Nations are not free. That's why United Nations votes on anything are problematic. There's a group of 77, it's called the Block of 77, though there's usually up to 20 or 30 more will vote with them. This Block of 77 nations vote to weaken human rights every time there is a vote in the UN on human rights. 50 of those nations are still dictatorships, 31 in Africa and the Middle East, 8 in Asia Pacific, 7 in Eurasia, 3 in the Americas, and one in Europe. Now, some progress has been made. I mean, there's no question about it. Compared to before, slavery has been largely eradicated in the West. More societies treat women as equals to men, though most of those societies are, guess where? In the West. And religious freedom is at least given lip service. Yet murder, robbery, rape, theft, and countless other horrible crimes, not even getting into genocide, still continue to this day all around the globe. In 2020, the city of Chicago, sounds like Mogadishu, but it's not, it's Chicago. 719 people shot and killed. 3,455 shot and wounded for a total of 4,174 people shot and 792 of those resulted in homicides. Now, as strange as this may sound to your ears, you need to understand this. Bloodshed and violence have been the consistent norm in human history. This little blurb that we have right now in our neighborhoods where it's mostly calm, unless you live downtown, it's mostly calm, mostly peaceful, where we don't worry too much about violence. This is a blip on the radar of history. This is not the norm. And it's passing. It's not as common as we'd like to think it is. How did we end up here? Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most what? deceitful of all things, and it is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? When he says, who really knows how bad it is? What he's saying is, man, even we don't realize how bad we are sometimes. We're not even very self-aware. See, we all know people who, who do good things, and honestly, I think we would all say that we are all, each one of us is concerned with doing good things, but as history makes it clear, our human nature is not primarily disposed toward goodness. We tend to be morally weak. I mean, when confronted with the choice to do what's right or to do what is selfish, the temptation to do what is selfish regularly overpowers our conscience. You know, humankind has been recording events on wood, clay, paper, papyrus, even some forms of metal, for 3,500 years before, since 3,500 years before Christ. Because of that, we know a lot of what has happened in the last 4,000, 5,000 years, and not only do we know what happened, in a lot of cases, we even know why it happened. 
So you would think that with four millennia of written records about bad human behavior and societies that rise and fall, having citizens do the right thing would be one of the most important concepts obsessing every society in history. But it's not. Societies are preoccupied with everything other than making good people. They want monuments. They want empires. They want wealth. They want status. They want beauty. They want to worry about power and who's empowered and who's not empowered. They want to worry about gender self-identification. You realize we're not the first people to do that, right? The Greeks did it. The Romans did it. Every major civilization has come to a point where they wanted to argue about sexuality. And historians call that, I'm quoting, an end of empire moment. It signals a coming collapse. Because we've lost sight of reality. We've lost sight of what matters. So in human history... An interest in moral behavior, which at its core comes down to how we treat each other, has been rare. But there was an exception. There was an exception. So as God's bringing the Hebrew tribes out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, as God is preparing them to establish this whole new society, this whole new culture, a whole new way of life in a hard land, as God is helping them be prepared to do the opposite of what all the civilizations around them were doing. God gave them what you and I today call the Ten Commandments, but what the Jews who received them actually called the Ten Statements. And these Ten Statements are focused on how to love God, how to treat each other, and why to do so. That's what all of these are about. Jesus even made the case for this. Remember in Matthew, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with... Everything, right? Heart, soul, mind, spirit. And he said there's a second command that's equal to that one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. All of the commandments, all of the law are based on these two things. If you would do these two things, you wouldn't need any of these other things. That's how he lays it out. So I love this because each one of these statements is like this moral masterpiece. And when you combine the ten, the ten of these things together, they present the simplest, most compelling plan ever, desi- ever devised to have a good society, even if people disagree on things. And they were given to us 3,500 years ago. So these commandments, we're going to look at each one of these in a fresh way. Um, are the very concepts that began humanity's march out of barbarism, out of tyranny, toward this progress of equality and kindness. And I'll tell you, the commandments understanding of human nature is just startling in, in, the, in the, depth and compla- or the depth and the simplicity of all of this. So if we want to improve our life, if we want to improve our culture, if we want to save our nation, God has given us 3,500 years ago the basic blueprint for doing that. See, if we would live by these statements, if we live by these commandments, our kids could walk in any neighborhood in Davenport any time of day and be safe. You would never have to panic 
where's my baby? Our young people would no longer be sent off to war. Our strained relationships would be at peace. You could leave your car unlocked. <laughs> you could leave your house unlocked. Women could walk anywhere, any time of day, in any neighborhood, and walk with confidence. Concealed carry weapons wouldn't be in anybody's vocabulary or on their radar. Political corruption would vanish. Political parties would be irrelevant. We could have full confidence in our elections. The police really could be defunded, and they would appreciate it. And our courts of law could be trustworthy. Listen, no document in the ancient world so changed the world better for the better than did the Ten Commandments. Western civilization, which, which created universal human rights, created women's equality, that ended slavery, that created teams to fight evil, that created parliamentary, uh, parliamentary democracy, that put an end to tyranny and cruelty within their borders, would never have developed without the Ten Commandments. In fact, eight of the Ten Rights in the U.S. Bill of Rights are from the Ten Commandments. Now, as true as that sounds, it comes with a catch. It comes with a catch. Should be a box in your notes there. The Ten Commandments are predicated on the belief that they are given by an authority higher than any man, king, or human government. See, the Ten Commandments are why you find these statements in the U.S. Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth and separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and of nature's, remember who? Nature's God entitle them. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. All right, so the sentence that precedes the 10 statements, the 10 commandments, asserts this truth. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then, who? God gave the people how many? All these instructions. See, many people like to follow the reasoning of Jean-Luc Picard, and they say, oh, no, 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 no mythical God helped us along. We humans did that. It's part of our natural evolution. No, no, it's not. <laughs> In fact, there was actually a, a co-revolution that happened with ours, and it was called the French Revolution. You know the difference between the French Revolution and our revolution? Our people started and said, we have been given rights by God. The French Revolution began with, we don't want any kind of God in any of this. We can fix this ourselves. And that immediately led into a period of terror where heads rolled and innocent people were killed. And how many, how many, how many governments has France had since? All right, introduction. We need God's authority to guide society. There's no getting around it. We need God's authority to guide society. Why, why is God so indispensable to the Ten Commandments? Because if they'd been given by Moses, then people could say, 
I don't know Moses, never heard of him, didn't vote for him, have no idea who he is. I don't know. If they'd been given by a king or queen, people could sit back and go, not my president. If they were given by human government, people could say, well, guess what? In four years, we're just going to flip all that upside down. All that stuff we don't like, we're going to fix. See, by our nature, collectively, as presidential elections show in this country every four years, humans are fickle and self-serving. And they're incredibly ignorant about what matters. See, if it isn't God who declares murder wrong, then murder might be objectionable, but it isn't wrong. It just becomes a later-in-life abortion. Because <laughs> that person was inconveniencing all of us. See, humans will always change the rules in their favor on the day that they need it. You know, I get that a lot of people find it objectionable to say God is the absolute rule maker. They find that to be absurd, especially my atheist friends, and I have them. So let me engage your intellect a little more deeply. For the sake of discussion, let's stay with murder. Very many likable, generally good, kind people who do not believe in God, but who also believe that murder is absolutely wrong. You know, and they'll say, I believe murder is wrong, but I don't need God to tell me it's wrong. Well, I want to suggest to you, that's great that they believe that, but their statement is only half true. The reason it's only half true you know, you can be an atheist and truly believe murder is wrong. However, I want to suggest to you in reality that we do need God to tell us it's wrong. Why? Because even if you've decided on your own, without God, without the Ten Commandments, you've decided that murder is wrong, how do you know that it's wrong? There's a difference between knowing and believing, right? You can't know. Why not? Because without a, an authority that is higher than humans, right and wrong are just personal beliefs, personal opinions. And opinions are subject to change depending on the mood of the humans. That's what happens. Okay, so let's say I believe it's absolutely okay to burn down buildings and loot the businesses in them. So let's say I believe that, all right? I think it's okay if people want to burn down buildings and loot the businesses. Absolutely, they should be able to do that. But let's say you own a building with a business in it. <laughs> and you truly believe it's not okay for people to do that. So now we're at an impasse. Now we're at loggerheads here. So who decides which one of us is right? Me and the ability to burn the buildings down? Or you wanting to keep your building? I'll tell you who will decide what's correct. It'll be whichever one of us can gather enough popular support to intimidate and suppress the other through peer pressure or through restricted speech or through laws or it will be whichever one of us can use the threat of violence to silence the other one. But it becomes a matter of might makes right. You're stronger this time, next time maybe I'll be stronger. See the chaos that comes with that? So unless there is a God who is a final authority, 
All morality is nothing more than opinion and popularism. And those with power can silence anyone that dissents. By the way, if you've actually studied philosophy, you'll see that this is one area that the, the, the atheists will agree that atheism has a big weakness, is that there is no final authority other than people, and people flip-flop all the time. I mean, we are like, we are like a fish on a rock. We can't stay anywhere solid. So let me throw you an, another problem with this idea that God is unnecessary to declaring what's right and what's wrong. Through history, a lot of people in power have disagreed with, with you and me about violence and murder. And you don't have to go far back to prove it. From 1933 to 1945, the Nazis were responsible for around 20,946,000 murders through genocide, execution of civilians, POWs, forced labor uh, that resulted in deaths, bombing of civilian populations, imposed famine and the resulting diseases, and euthanasia. And that 20 million, almost 21 million number does not include a single soldier they killed in combat. Those are just the bystanders. In 2017, Professor Stephen Kotkin wrote in the Wall Street Journal that communism killed at least 65 million people between 1917 and 2017. Here's what he wrote. Communism's tools of destruction have included mass deportations, forced labor camps, and police state terror, a model established by Lenin and especially by his successor, Joseph Stalin. It has been widely imitated. Though communism has killed huge numbers of people intentionally, even more of its victims have died from starvation as a result of its cruel projects and its social engineering. Here's another example closer to home. In the United States, since Roe v. Wade in 1972, more than 62 million babies have been killed. 62 million babies have been killed. That is 10 times the number of Jews that the Nazis murdered. That is three times more than the total number of people killed by Nazis in World War II. And it will soon equal the same number as all the deaths of World War II. Abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2019, killing more than 42, 42 million people. And yes, those numbers are documented, and absolutely yes, the abortion industry fact checkers come out and say, no, I don't think so. This is incomplete information. So don't get too confident with this idea that your neighbors all know to do the right thing. That they know the difference between right and wrong and will choose wisely. Now why do people choose selfishly? Why do people choose to do the wrong thing? Well, most of the time it's because they think no one who matters is watching. No one who matters can do any, or no one who can do anything about it is watching. But see, if you recognize that God is the source of moral law, then you believe that God is always watching you, even when there are no other human beings there. So 3,600 years ago, these commandments, these statements were given by God to begin to establish the freedoms that you and I know today. Now, what's the first commandment? That seems like an obvious answer, right? Look on page three. I made a chart for you there. 
Now up in the upper left-hand corner is the uh, sources for those, the Septuagint, the different, different translations and so forth, different denominations. The, the legend for that's actually on page four. I couldn't fit it all on there, so you can see what they are specifically. But what I did was I set up how, the, how each of these different groups, so the Jews divide the 10 statements differently than we divide the 10 commandments. And even within Christianity, people divide the 10 commandments differently. So we're gonna take off and we're gonna go with the original division that the Jews had. That's where we're gonna start and we're gonna run this just because that's unusual for us. We don't normally do that kind of stuff. All right, so that's, that's how we're gonna focus on this. So commandment number one, according to, to Judaism, I love this. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You say, now wait a minute. How is God saying, I'm the Lord your God? How is that a commandment? How many of you had a mom? Remember mom saying to you, do this? And you said, why? And your mother said, because... I am your mother, <laughs> right? I am the boss. This is the first Ten Commandments. It's the very first statement there. It's just establishing. I am God. There, that's how it's going to be. Understand that. Adjust your thinking to that. And see, this statement is so important that none of the other commandments make sense without that statement. Why? All right, here we go. I'll give you some stuff to fill in. Number one. It asserts that God is giving these commandments. So these things we're going to study for the next couple of months, it's telling us God established these. Not Moses, not a human king, not a human queen, not a committee, not a congress, not a parliament of human beings. This came from the creator himself. Number two, it reminds us that God alone delivers us from bondage. No human being did that. God basically says to the tribes, you know, when I, created, when I created humanity, I created humanity to be free. And somehow you ended up here in Egypt. Slaves. And so now, not only did I create you to be free, now I'm freeing you again to be free. And since I am freeing you from this slavery, you have an obligation to me, God, to live as free people. And how do we live that obligation? He says, you live that obligation by following these commandments. These commandments are how you get freedom. So this is the beginning of what was called ethical monotheism. It was a revolutionary concept in the ancient world. Ethical monotheism means two things. First, it means there is one God, and from that one God comes one morality for all humanity. And therefore, it's not subject to regional, regional thoughts. It's not subject to human opinion. The second thing it shows there is that God's primary demand of people is that they act in love toward him and toward each other. And when we act in love toward each other, God says we act in love toward him. Jesus affirmed that. Let's go Mark chapter 12. We're going to begin verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now just underline that last sentence. No other commandment is greater than these. So 
I, the, one of the things I love of this, none of these Ten Commandments give a command for something you're supposed to do to God. You don't have to feed God. You don't have to water God. You don't have to bow down a certain number of times each day to take care of him. You don't have to offer other human beings as bloody sacrifices to him. See, what the Ten Commandments remind us is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to answer to God. And we're supposed to love all the people that God made. In fact, this thing of the Ten Commandments being for all of us to show love for each other is so fascinating to me because when we get to the part about not having false gods and we get to the part about not using or not taking the, the, the Lord's name in vain, you're going to find that those are ultimately about how you treat other people. I mean, it's, it's, I love it. All right, number three. It reminds us that God created us for freedom. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, here's some stuff underneath this. A, what this does, it shows me the importance of freedom. It shows me the importance of freedom. You know, God could have said, I am the Lord your God who created you. I am the Lord your God who made the, the, the whole universe. In fact, I spoke it. I didn't even drop one piece. Of, I didn't even do one drop of sweat making everything that exists. I'm the one who created the world. I'm the one who made this giant terrarium and put you in it. I'm the one who did all of it. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I'm the one who freed you. The one thing he declares is that he brought them out of slavery into freedom. Listen, you hear people all the time, I had to turn off most of the networks. I don't watch much news anymore. I'm not on Facebook anymore. The foolishness is just killing me. Breaks my heart. Makes me nauseated. You'll hear people say, well, the Bible, that's an evil, outdated book because it defends slavery. <laughs> no, it doesn't defend slavery at all, ever. In fact, it, it just tells you how ignorant people are. What, what it does is the Bible, unlike other religious books, the Bible tells the truth all the time. Even when it's talking about these great people of faith, it, tells, it shows their warts and all. They had sin. It doesn't hide it and act like they didn't have sin. It explains it. And God's people, I don't know about you, but I've done some stupid things. <laughs> God's people have all done stupid things. The Bible shows that. And beginning with the Ten Commandments, the Bible demonstrates how much God hates slavery and how important God considers freedom. He brought the children of Israel out of slavery into freedom. That whole concept. Can you bring that picture up for me? Recognize that? The Liberty Bell, that's kind of our iconic symbol of freedom from our revolution. The founders of America, they based their entire view of their new nation on this belief that God wants us to be free. That's why this symbol of the American Revolution, the Liberty Bell actually has a Bible verse inscribed on it from Leviticus 25. It's this verse. Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Unto how many of the inhabitants? All of them. All of them, even if they were being immorally owned as slaves, they were to be free. All right, next thing, B. 
So this also shows me the meaning of freedom. So the giver of the Ten Commandments is in effect saying, look, I took you out of slavery, I took you into freedom, and these commandments that I'm giving you now are the way that you stay free. You cannot be a free people if everyone treats others badly. You cannot be a free people if everyone just does whatever they want. These are the things, these are the core tenets that you must agree on as a culture. And from these things and your agreement in them will spring forth your freedom. But if you disagree on them, your freedom will go away. He tells them right up front, your freedom is going to be based on your own moral self-control. There's no, there's no other way to have freedom than to also practice self-control. All right. Last thing, see. It reminds us that God loves us. It reminds us that God loves us. So, it reminds us by telling us that he liberated the Hebrew slaves. Do you realize he also liberated anybody else the Egyptians were holding slave? They were free to leave with the Hebrews. In fact, you'll see a term. You'll see a term in the Old Testament during the Exodus period. It'll say uh, the Jews, or actually say the children of Israel and the mixed multitude. You'll see that phrase over and over. You know who the mixed multitude were? Everybody who was with them that wasn't Jewish. God invited them all out into freedom. God made it clear from the beginning. He had come and rescued them because he cares deeply about all human beings. Listen, it's impressive to create the world. It's impressive to just speak the universe into existence. And we're just now getting a concept of how big that universe is. Thank you, Hubble. But it's more impressive that the creator cares about all of the created. Jesus reminded us of this in John 8. So God says, listen, I've brought you out from Egypt, the land of your slavery, and I've set you free. Now watch what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So, if the son sets you free, what? You are truly free. Listen, freedom begins when we understand that God created us to be free and that it's only with him that we can remain free. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for this chance today to take a fresh look at the original Big Ten to stop and go back and see what were really the first the first things you laid down and oh Lord if we could have kept the first ten we wouldn't have had to get the rest of them but as human beings we messed that up thoroughly Father we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded we thank you for Jesus who told us the most important thing is to love you. And the next most important thing, which he counted as equal to the first, was to love each other. Lord, help us in a time right now where our nation is so divided, where families are divided, where friends are divided.
Father, bring us back together on the things that matter. Lord, heal our, heal our friendships, heal our families, and heal our land. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.